Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Baseball is Good. My name is Corey Engelhart. I am the host. This is the 36th episode that I've done. And uh, if you have not listened to me before tonight, the show is basically about uh, the sport of baseball generally and why I love the sport and why my guest typically loves the sport or wants to talk about the sport or something about the sport that uh, they enjoy. Or maybe we've had episodes where we don't talk about baseball at all. It's kind of a general podcast more than anything. And I I appreciate your listeners and uh, people who have come along for the ride and given tips and and thoughts. And um, I I just enjoy doing this show, and it gives me a little bit of respite from real life and reality once in a while, at least once a week. And um, I hope tonight's show is no different for everyone who is listening and following along. Um, my guest tonight is a is a friend. Uh, uh, many of the episodes that I've done have been people that I have not met or spoke with in person in real life. And tonight is different than that. It's a, it's a, a longtime friend, somebody I've known for many years now. And um, I'll bring him on and he can do his own introduction and then we'll get the show started at that point. So I said that he's called in, and I'll get him logged in here, and we'll we'll go from there. One moment. Hey, Matt, are you there? Hey, Corey, how's it going? Good. How about yourself? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no doubt. This is fun. I'm I'm I, I before we get started, I'd love if if you introduced yourself to the people that are listening. Sure. Uh, my name is Matthew Bergeron. I live in uh, St. Paul. Um, I'm an attorney. I uh, practice uh, in uh, in healthcare and in government relations. Um, and uh, and I'm a pretty big uh, sports guy in my spare time. I like to do a little bit of writing, um, both uh, uh, about sports a little bit uh, from time to time, but about other things as well. So. I'm really excited to to be on and to to talk. I've been uh, listening to your show for uh, uh, for a while now, so uh, this is pretty fun to be on. Great, thanks. And and for those of you that are listening that maybe have heard Matt's voice before, what other podcast or podcast have you been a part of in the past? Um, so uh, I've got some good friends that do a Minnesota national uh, political podcast. It's called Wrong About Everything. It's got two Democrats and two Republicans, a male and a female on each side of the aisle. Um, and these are some good friends of mine that I've had the opportunity to work with on campaigns and at the Capitol. And uh, from time to time, I will uh, uh, pinch hit, to use a, a baseball uh, metaphor for this <laughs> evening, uh, as, as, the, uh, as the male Democrat on, on that show. Um, so I've done wrong about everything uh, uh, semi-regularly as a, as a uh, guest host. Um, and then I've got some good friends that have a uh, soccer podcast um, called uh, uh, the Soccer Thread Podcast. And I've been on their oh, show cool. as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've listened to more than a few episodes now of, about with wrong about everything. And I appreciate that show. I, I like I don't bring politics into my show as much, but I appreciate podcasts where there's politics that you can discuss topics and not have everybody try to scream and swear at each other. I appreciate anything that can bring that into the, basically out there into the ether for, for people to appreciate. Well, yeah, the whole, the whole premise of the show um, with the kind of bipartisan, bipartisan split was that each pair thought that the other pair was you know, wrong about everything but that they can mm-hmm. still all be close friends. Um, and so uh, I think it's uh, that's part of the reason I think it is, has caught on um, and been quite, quite successful, especially in, in Minnesota, is because there hadn't really been uh, um, a show like that. Sure. Well, anyway, to, uh, so to, to get our show started here, I have one question from a uh, uh, non-regular listener, but somebody that is close to uh, me. Catherine from Minneapolis wants to know, how are you able to stay married even though you're involved with about 6,000 fantasy sports leagues? <laughs> well, um, I have a, a 
beautiful, uh, loving, and understanding wife uh, to be to begin with, um, who uh, I think at times actually looks forward to the fact that there are are weekends during draft season where she's entirely <laughs> free to do whatever she wants because I'm booked up. Um, but uh, but no, uh, as, as you hit on it, uh, fantasy sports is definitely something. Uh, that has actually been a, a hobby of mine. Oh man, since I was a little kid, um, it's been something I've done. Uh, my my dad actually got me into it way back in the day. Sure, and and I guess just to kind of shoot off the question, that that listener, uh, Catherine, probably is never going to listen to this episode. So if there's anything you would like to say for the listening public that that person will probably never hear. You're free to do that in this time. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, if you're not going to take take the bait that I'm laying out for you, uh, describe to the listeners what you do with fantasy sports. I know you were a big-time fantasy sports fan, not just baseball, but other sports. Like, Describe your fandom, I guess, as far as fantasy is concerned. So, uh, you know, in – in life, we always think about the road not traveled, um, and there are times where, um, especially when I'm watching, you know, one GM after another screw up my favorite team, that I've always thought I would uh, be better at that than some of these guys. Uh, and so, fantasy sports is kind of a, a fun way to to pretend um, and a fun way to to do that, and it's a fun way to for me to somehow, you know, I'm a competitive guy, um, and it's a way for me to. Uh, try and claim anyways from time to time that I know more about what I'm talking about than my buddies do. So mm-hmm. uh, I've got, I've got a, a decent number. Um, uh, well, the, the other thing that, the other thing that happens is whenever somebody's starting a fantasy league, they go, Oh, who do I know that would be interested? Oh, I think Matthew would be interested. And I have mm-hmm. a hard time saying no to the invitations. So <laughs> um, I think right now I've got, six fantasy football leagues that I compete in two pretty intense fantasy baseball leagues and, uh, two, uh, fantasy English premier league soccer leagues actually. Um, but I've done other things from time to time as well. Okay. So you're in 10 total leagues. I, I, I thought I remembered it being 12. Have you cut back over the years or is that, the high water yeah. mark of what it's been. A, a little, a little bit. No, that that, that probably okay. was. Um, I think I, I think at one point it was as many as twelve. Um, I I'd had a, a another baseball league for a while, and I did an NBA basketball league for a little while. Okay, so what? When you say six leagues, is it just different groupings of friends for each of those leagues, or different people you know, or are they specifically different types of leagues that you're looking for? Well, it's it's both. It's actually really interesting because um, it is different groups of friends, and that's how I get into it. Um, and in all of those leagues, um, it's some some group of people that you know that I know from somewhere. Whether it's uh, uh, from a job, you know, I either have or have had. Um, from I've got a group uh, of guys from college that have been in a league since we were seniors in college. So I think we just went ten years on that one. Um, but all the leagues actually have tended to be somewhat different in their format, in their scoring, in their, um, culture, I guess you would say. And I've got leagues that are, um, auction leagues. I've got serpentine draft leagues. I've got keeper leagues. I've got in football, uh, I'm in a, uh, a points per reception league, a league that's a half mm-hmm. point per reception one that's a touchdown heavy league where yardage is very small, a couple of traditional kind of scoring. So I've been in a, in a bunch of different capacities and that's how, you know, your approach to each league has to be different because, um, you know, the scoring or the draft strategy or whatever is, is different. Sure. Well, so is there a type of league doesn't matter this well, maybe sort of matters the sport is there a type of league that you've found you like more than another in terms of like for baseball do you enjoy keeper more than non-keeper is there a specific, if you were starting a league 
Is there a type of league that you would pick that would be your favorite your favorite type? Yeah, I like auction leagues that are keeper leagues. Um, and I like that because it's, I think it sets up uh, the type of league where throughout a season, especially in baseball, um, where it's a longer season, and just as it is for any major league team, uh, for a fantasy player, you can get into um, late July, early August, and realize you're not in any competition for anything this year. Mm-hmm. But you should still have your first couple of big draft picks. You might be sitting on, you know, a, a Bryce Harper, or a Mike Trout, and, and based on what you paid for them in the draft, you know you can't keep them. But mm-hmm. you can, you know, they have value that season to someone who's competing. And, you know, the, the trades are one of the best parts of fantasy sports, in my opinion. You know, if for no other sure. reason, then it's the engagement with your buddies, right? It's the emails back and forth during the workday when you're not really interested in what you're supposed to be doing um, mm-hmm. that, that are some of the, the, the fun parts of it all. And I think um, that that kind of a league where, you know, um, guys can be, you know, you can draft guys that start the season in the minor leagues on cheap auction contracts. You can have guys that have well uh, exceeded their likely uh, ceiling for the season um, that you can then kind of stockpile or accumulate uh, in exchange for those, those big stars. So I, th- I find it to be the kind of league that keeps um, owners the most involved throughout the season, because even when you're well out of it this year, you can build for the next year. And that's one way to keep, you know, maybe guys that aren't quite as good, that's an opportunity for them. You know, guys who don't routinely finish at their top of their leagues, it's a way for them to kind of take a two-year approach to something and then hopefully be real competitive and kind of stay interested and continue to have fun with it. Sure, that sounds great. Uh, one last question. I won't get too much into fantasy sports, but um, some of the leagues you've done, specifically one that you and I have been a part of, have had uh, prizes not just for – first place but for uh winning last place in the league is there are there any prizes that you remember from any leagues you've done um from either winning outright or finishing in last place that's something you would want to do in another league (laughs) well i'm in one league where uh you know you've got your playoff bracket and then you've got kind of your losers bracket and the guy that loses the um the last place game there the uh um the league champion gets to name his team for the whole next season um and you can usually find a a a pretty good shot there or um i know you're trying to get me to admit to the year that i didn't uh follow i missed the playoffs in that football league you're referring to and i will go ahead and and own it here i don't know what you're talking about i have no idea what you're talking about exactly I'll own it here, so I got to spend a, a solid six months with a uh, uh, a nice pink license plate holder um, on my car, uh, uh, declaring my uh, fantasy ineptitude that year. So you forgot that was, uh, was you, classic. You you forgot to use the term bedazzled. It was very pink and very bedazzled. Uh, if I remember yeah, correctly. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that is a beautiful prize, and I, I'm glad that our league that you and I are in are part of our football league, not football, but football is, uh, is up for the money prizes at the top and the, uh, toilet bowl prize at the end. It's, it's, it's a nice way to remember your success or lack thereof, I guess you could say. <laughs> exactly. And it came on the heels of winning it the year before. So it was, a uh, yeah, when you hear from worst to first, uh, I, I went the other way that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny how, like, when there is a last place prize, like a toilet bowl prize, how people are really paying attention for different reasons at the when you're in 10th, 11th, 12th place in the league going into the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. There's different motivations than compared to keeper exactly. leagues. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, so uh, you mentioned that you have been on podcasts and you mentioned that you are an attorney and have had friends and worked with people at the Capitol. What is a day like for you? What is a normal day like for you work-wise outside of thinking about sports and not wanting to focus on your work like you mentioned? Well, uh, 
like I mentioned, I, I do a decent amount of work in government relations, working with the Minnesota legislature. Um, and so the legislative session just started this week. Um, and so my, my life during the legislative session is very different uh, than it is outside of the session. Outside of the session, I'm kind of your basic attorney uh, in the office, uh, working with a, a variety of clients, primarily in, in healthcare. Um, but during the legislative session, I'm over at the Capitol, and my day will consist of a number of meetings with legislators, um, sometimes with my clients, sometimes on my own, uh, talking about legislation that either I'm promoting or that maybe my clients have concerns with, uh, or sometimes just building uh, relationships uh, for down the road, uh, attending committee hearings, um, you know, sometimes just monitoring legislation that's moving through committee. Sometimes uh, if I'm uh, uh, working with a client that's either promoting or, or testifying on legislation, uh, they'll uh, um, opt to do some prep with them and kind of talk through what the committee experience is going to be like, some of the questions they can um, expect based on who's uh, serving on the committee, and then get them to, uh, to the committee. Um, as the session moves on and there's more and more uh, floor sessions as, as bills come to the floor for debates by the full chamber. Um, in Minnesota, we've got 67 senators and 134 House members. And so um, I'll, I'll watch those uh, debates. I'll um, interact with legislators uh, outside of the chambers to um, talk about the issues they're, they're discussing. Um, and then, you know, hopefully uh, help my clients uh, engage with uh, state legislators with the governor's office, state agencies, uh, in a way that allows them to communicate whatever they're uh, concerned about or, or whatever they're trying to, to promote. So that's, that's basically a 40-hour work week, pretty much, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it definitely ramps up. By, by, the, end of the, uh, by the end of the legislative session, um, like the last week or so is pretty close to around the clock um in the last yeah. weekend four or five days usually is uh, around the clock um i've definitely learned uh the uh, the restorative power of a of a hot shower and a freshly dry cleaned dress shirt i figure that equals about three hours of sleep so if you can sleep three sure. hours and then get a shower a shave and a uh, a clean shirt that's like three more hours and then you're at six and you're good to go <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, uh, I'm curious. I don't want to get too much into your your work if you're not wanting to talk about that. I guess, but when you say your clients are primarily with healthcare, what does what does that entail? What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, in my uh, that's kind of more true about my legal work. In my legislative work, I've, I've got a broad variety of clients, but but okay. in healthcare, um, you know, uh, one example is. Uh, I represent um, an association of uh, community health clinics, safety net hospitals, community mental health clinics, and other nonprofit organizations that provide care to folks who don't have insurance or are um, on the state's uh, medical assistance or Medicaid program. So what the, the safety net uh, providers. So I'll, I'll work with, okay. with them and in interacting with the legislature and uh, the Department of Human Services on kind of how we pay for uh, health care in, in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think a lot of people uh, inside and outside that have opinions on this, and I don't want to get into that too much, but that's just fascinating, uh, the work I'm imagining you're uh, busy a lot of the time, and I'm, I'd be uh, – I'd love to – personally be a fly in the wall some of the, for some of the conversations that you're dealing with. I mean, it just sounds fascinating to me. <clears throat> no, I, I enjoy it, but uh, yeah, it can definitely get in the weeds pretty quick um, in human services sure. and in healthcare. We live in a world of acronyms and, and of complicated formulas and stuff that um, luckily, you know, my job is to, to know that a bit, but to, to know kind of how to interface with, government um my clients mm -hmm. are the real experts and and uh the stories are always better told by those people living it on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to just their their surrogates or their representatives sure all right well i'm gonna rein it back a little bit for 
people that are listening for baseball talk. Uh, I'm going to start Sounds off then with the main question I ask everybody on this show. Uh, why baseball? Why did you get into baseball as a young, younger person than you are now? Like, what, what about it uh, brought you to the sport, or how did you get into it, I guess? Well, I definitely got into it through my father. Um, and he grew up in a uh, smaller town in uh, central Illinois um, in uh, the 1960s and early 70s. Um, and in an era where, you know, I think baseball and radio broadcasts, um, you know, you, you had like a weekly game on TV maybe, but, you know, radio broadcasts. And in small towns, I think that was a, a, a big thing. And, and baseball, had, I think, had a broader network um, in that era. Their games uh, got more coverage in, in larger swaths of, of the United States. But for me, um, baseball baseball has a, has a history to it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I come from a, a, a line of um, kind of uh, – you know, amateur historians, you know, some families went to Disney. My family went to Gettysburg, you know, we went to a civil war battlefields. We didn't, we didn't go to Cancun. Um, but, uh, and I ended up being a history major when I went off to college. Um, but I think I forgot that part. I, I guess I, sorry, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, um, special about baseball. I mean, I, I love a lot of sports. I'm a huge college basketball fan. Um, I played football in high school and college. Um, I've become a big uh, English and international soccer fan in recent years. But there's there's something about baseball, um, and, and I think for me part of it is uh, the history. You know, like any, any, part, any moment in it feels like it's part of something – uh, greater, um, mm-hmm. and and I think part of that too comes from the way the game is is kind of passed on, generation uh, to generation. And so for me, I kind of got that from my father. Sure. Well, one story that I know you've told me specifically is the story about um, the coming home from school. You were in sixth grade, fifth grade. I don't remember when. This was 1990, mid-late 90s, when your dad told you to come in and watch this because something special was happening, and it was the Carrie Wood game. And yeah. I, I remember loving that story that you that you told. I would love it if you could pass on to what I'm not passing on about that story. No, sure. So so like I said, my, my dad is from uh, uh, Central Illinois. He's from the Quad Cities. And he's right in the area where the the fault line between the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals comes in. I've got a good friend from mm-hmm. college who went to a high school that was in the same conference. It's about 40 minutes from my dad's hometown. And he was a Cardinals fan because they were like right on that line. Mm-hmm. Um, but my – so my dad is a third-generation Cubs fan. Um, okay. My grandmother was a, a – a, um, a secretary for the Catholic church. And she used to tape on VHS the day games because they played almost exclusively day games um, yep. when at home. And so she would uh, tape those and come home and watch them every day. And my dad worked uh, either second or third shift. He worked at a, uh, he managed a grocery store my entire childhood. And so he would be home uh, when I got home from school, I come home one day and he just kind of, you know, gestures to me that like I you know there was a television in the dining room and he goes you know you should should sit down and watch this I think something special is happening and at that point Kerry Wood was um he was a rookie he was making something like his sixth start I want to say and he's pitching against the Houston Astros um and he had like eight strikeouts through three innings and I sat there uh, with my father um, and watched the rest of the game as he struck out 20 Astros. Um, and, you know, it was, I was just blown away. I'd, I'd never watched a, uh, um, a pitching performance like that live, that kind of uh, domination. Um, Cause not only was he striking those guys out, 
Um, but they, it was a really good lineup. I mean, you remember that uh, Astros lineup? That was uh, yeah. Bagwell and Biggio and Bell. I mean, they, they were they were uh-huh. a, a talented uh, lineup at that point. Um, and he was making them look silly. I mean, he was make. I mean, he made Derek Bell look just foolish on a couple of yeah. occasions. Agreed. Ken Kennedy. If he was at was, was a, he San Diego? Was, maybe a good lineup that he just yeah he just uh, totally dominated. And I don't know that I'd ever seen um, a baseball game where someone had that kind of a performance before. Obviously, he's not the first guy to to have done something like it. But I I had not witnessed that. And there there was kind of this uh, young, highly touted, up and coming uh, kid. I mean, he was 20 years mm-hmm. old when he did it, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he, and he was he was doing it at Wrigley too, which um, made it, I think, a little bit more special because like the crowd was just going bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that is definitely one of those uh, um, memories. I immediately think I went out. I collected the baseball cards at the time, and I went out and I found. Mm-hmm every Kerry Wood rookie card I could possibly find. Um, I, I was just in love after that. Yeah, hard to argue. That was uh, that was kind of my heyday for baseball card collecting, too, and Kerry Wood was huge at the time. He was, I really think, like, he, he is one of those arms that if he had not had arm issues like the majority of pitchers off, across baseball history have, we'd be talking about is the Nolan Ryan hall of fame type trajectory. Nobody looks dominating like that on a regular basis. And that's why if you say, do you remember the Kerry Wood game? People remember the Kerry Wood game. It was just, it stuck out that way. And it's been 20 years ago by this point. It's just crazy. Well, and, I guess. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things like you see a lot of pitchers where maybe they dominate with power you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're just blowing it past guys. Or maybe they're, you know, finesse pitchers. As a kid, I was a huge Greg Maddox fan. Um, mm-hmm. Even though by the time I was really watching it, he had gone to Atlanta. Um, I knew he was a Cub before that. And so I loved watching him pitch in Atlanta. And then when he came back at the end of his career to Chicago, I was just absolutely ecstatic. Um, but, you sure. know, he was never the guy that was going to throw it past you, but he could put the ball anywhere he wanted to, anytime he wanted to. And then watching yep. Kerry Wood pitch, he he had he had both of those skills. He was definitely a um a fastball pitcher, but he also had uh um touch on a breaking ball that definitely buckled knees. Well and he had the curveball that moved like not many curveballs do either across with the, <laughs> the moving fastball that was high nineties. It was just it was really fun to watch, and he, he's another pitcher that, like John Smoltz and a few others, that came back as a dominant closer later, later in his career with the arm issues he had. But that one day he had where he was just untouchable, like it's hard to, as a baseball fan, who are, I think we could safely say somebody who's in their 30s and older remembers that day, I guess you could say. It's just that's something that sticks he, out. Definitely. Definitely. And, and for me, you know, the fact that I got to watch that, um, you know, with my dad, uh, live was, was something, um, that was pretty cool. Sure. Well, so your dad grew up a Cubs fan other than Ernie Banks. Did he have players that he spoke of to you that helped you learn about baseball, um, when you were growing up? I mean, every every Cubs fan, every baseball fan loves Ernie Banks, frankly. But were there yeah. other players that he spoke of to you that helped you grow for your love of the sport? I remember my father for years being very upset that Ron Santo was not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and then being equally yeah. upset when they voted him, voted him in right after he passed away. Um, yeah having felt that he had deserved that. So I, I, I grew up think, you know, hear, hearing about this uh, great injustice that had been uh, perpetrated against uh, uh, Ron Santo. Um, Cause he had, my dad had thought very highly of him. 
Um, but as a kid, I remember hearing the names of that kind of, uh, um, you know, they did had a very good team in 88 and a bunch of guys uh, uh, in the years when I was a young child, the, uh, you know, Sean Dunstan and Ryan Sandberg uh-huh. and Andre Dawson and, uh, um, you know, those guys and uh, Rick Suckless and, and no, those guys. So, like, I remember uh-huh. um, them a little bit, but those were the names that I remember hearing my dad and my grandfather or grandmother, excuse me, uh, talk about. And so uh, sure. some of those guys um, stick out in, in, in my uh, in my mind well. Uh, you know, and, and even, um, you know, one of my favorites uh, was uh, Jody Davis, the catcher. Um, okay. Because I liked I liked catchers at the time. I mean, Jody Davis was, you know, a, a fine major league catcher, but there was nothing, there, there was no reason for me to remember who the catcher of the Cubs was back then, except for I will always remember that it was Jody Davis. But. Mm-hmm. Well, I we've talked about this too uh, before this podcast, obviously. But um, is there a part of you that you think? Let's say hypothetically WGN wasn't a thing, it probably would have been more difficult to appreciate the Cubs in the 80s and 90s than we all did as sports fans growing up at that time before cable TV was really a big deal, probably Mm -hmm. closer to 2000. Like if the Cubs and and the Braves hadn't been on WGN and, and Turner, I don't know that I would have loved those TV, those teams as much as I grew to love them being ages 12 to 17 in the nineties, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Definitely. And, um, you know, I'm just a little bit too young to have, uh, you know, recollections of, um, you know, the 87 or the 91 twins. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, I always kind of grew up as a fan of of both teams. Because frankly, you know, when we were kids, there was no interleague. So there Mm -hmm. there was no, like, you could have an American League and a National League team. And as long as you knew who you wanted in the World Series, you know, and the weird, crazy chance that your two teams made the World Series – um, as long as you you knew where you went on that one, there there was no uh-huh. no conflict. Um, uh-huh. and and so uh, I remember um, you know you talk about players standing out as a, as a kid. I was a, a big uh, Brad Radke fan um, uh-huh. because you could get to the dome and he was the one pitcher that you real you know when we were younger like <laughs> the one pitcher that you would you were hoping was pitching. Because you didn't really know mm-hmm. who a lot of the other guys were for a stretch there in the late 90s. Um, <laughs> you still but, don't. You know, I don't think any Vidics yeah, existed, right. but that's, that's <laughs> another argument. Cheap tickets, yeah. dollar dogs at the, at the yep. Metrodome. But you just always <laughs> hoped that uh, Brad Radke was pitching because that was the one you knew. Sure. Yeah, I'm kind of like yeah, you. No, the I, I Cubs... don't know without WGN how it would have – how it would have. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know without WGN how it how it would have played out. Um but uh, it was it was definitely and there's something about just the way their their broadcasts were done. You know, when you line up a WGN well, broadcast even next to like an FSN one, like there's, there's they did it in kind of a weird way that was just very what I associate with the Cubs. Well, yeah, and everybody, I think for me too, like I loved Harry Carey. I loved his style. He, he no one is ever going to be like. Uh, drunk and peeing in the corner, but also lovable like Harry Carey was. That's just not a thing that's ever <laughs> going to happen again. But everybody yeah, loved no, him because he was amazing. But then uh, Will Ferrell being Harry Carey on SNL helped bring that character of a person back to life after Harry passed. But he was he was such a great uh, great personality as it was anyway. And, and him being on the Cubs broadcast, I think, made the – the team even more lovable to an audience than they probably should have deserved anyway for how little they won up until not that long ago in, in well, I mean, real time. Took his enthusiasm and his love of the team um, to make up for the fact that 
yeah, they were they were terrible for an extended period mm-hmm. of time, or <laughs> that they would they would they would pull it together just enough to break your heart, and mm-hmm. you know, um, baseball's a long season, but it's an even longer feeling uh, off season, especially when you feel like your season ended in late July. Right, like so. Not only do you, uh-huh. if it all falls apart, you've got that hope of spring training. But if it all falls apart, not only do you have to like survive an off season, you got to survive <laughs> the second half of a season that you know is lost. And yep, I think the enthusiasm of someone like Harry Carey um, was was important uh, to to a fan base. Sure. Yeah, he was he was really an incredible person. It was hard to not uh, be just fascinated hearing him t- talk about baseball and the Cubs and and everything going on. And I I will have fond memories of watching him. And I I really think he's the reason I liked watching the Cubs in the '90s. Like you said, Sean Dunstan. I liked Mark Grace and Ryan Sandberg and and Kerry Wood and a lot of the names that you can think of. Uh, maybe. I, I know the name Doug Glanville because of Harry Carey. I wouldn't have cared about any of those names, frankly, if it wasn't for watching the sport on WGN. It was just something that was ingrained in you, and I I appreciate that time that I spent watching those games. Well, yeah, you talk about random names. You tweeted at me the other day about Steve Traxel. There was a name I hadn't <laughs> thought about in a while. That, uh, he got uh, you know, the same it's another one of those. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Oh man! In his only year on the ballot, I think he got two or three votes more than you and I did. But he still got Hall of Fame votes. Like that's just insane to me. That is that is insane. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was funny. Uh, With all the talk of pace of play and the rule changes that can or cannot be coming to Major League Baseball, um, there was a writer. I I don't remember. It was I think it's somebody affiliated with uh, Baseball America tweeted out that um, with the past rule changes for pace of play, all of Steve Traxel starts have have gone from the ether. So all of us are now a year and a half younger because of that happening. And I thought that joke was great because Steve Traxel, he was not a fast worker, if you could put it lightly, on the mound. (laughs) He was not somebody that worked quickly to get through starts. And I, I kind of remember that, but that that tweet that I tweeted at you the other day kind of brought it back to my memory, and it was yeah, it gave me a chuckle. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So other than Cubs and Brad Radke, were there other players? Uh, okay, I'll I'll start over. My my theory about baseball fandom is that the greatest players that ever played played during the time that the person you're speaking with was between 12 and 17 years old. Are there other players from your 12 to 17 age range that you think that you remember trying to emulate their, their swing or their pitching motion or how they threw um, that you remember doing that? So I loved playing baseball as a kid, literally you can Babe Ruth. And I was, uh, always trying to find a, a, a position that fit for me. And I ended up behind the plate. And so at probably about the age of 10, like I started, my primary position was as a catcher. And I decided mm-hmm. my easy, my, my best chance to, to get playing time growing up, getting older, because I was decent, but I was never going to be the greatest ball player. And so the best thing was to do something that nobody else was doing. And mm-hmm. um, and my hero as a kid was Pudge Rodriguez. I sure. loved Pudge. Like that was, I mean, I wore number seven because that's what he wore. Um, that was that was my guy. And um, you know, I I worked on you know blocking balls and on trying to throw out runners, and um, you know, felt that if I could be uh, 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 you know, and he had a great bat. He was he was a, a well-rounded. Uh, he was a great player, but um, but I thought that if I could be a, you know, if I could emulate the way he caught a game, um, that would help me uh, 
in, in my kind of playing days. Uh, but, oh, man, I loved watching that guy play. Absolutely loved watching mm-hmm. him play. Yeah, hard to argue. He may be the best catcher of the last 30 years, frankly, for his uh, longevity and for how good he was both defensively and offensively, other than maybe the last couple of years he really dropped off quite a bit. But he was such a good player for so long, it's hard to argue that he was one of the better catchers of baseball history, really. Well, and and even as he dropped off, still stayed behind the plate. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen so many catchers move, um, and he was and he was an American League catcher, um, yep. who hit well enough that you could have totally seen a position change or something like that. But he stayed, you know, he stayed behind the plate. Um, and uh, yeah, because because you know when I was a kid, the the two catchers, you know, uh, were Padre Rodriguez and Mike Piazza. Um, were were the two, and Piazza oh, was, in say, my opinion. No, go ahead. Sorry, I thought you were going to throw in Benito Santiago in there too. But yeah, those those two were the big <laughs> names. Well, and you know they they were the they were the two big names. Um, and then, but you know, I I saw you know, uh, Pudge Rodriguez as the 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 more well rounded guy, but then I also really loved. Do you remember Charles Johnson? He was yeah, a Marlins no catcher there. That yep. guy was an unbelievable defensive catcher, um, mm-hmm. and so he was another one of my like heroes uh, at that time um, because there there was something uh, almost noble uh, to me in being that good at something that you know um, isn't is not only glamorous. Um, but it's just physically taxing. You know, I kind of feel like a, mm-hmm. uh, catcher's defense is kind of like a, no one really notices it until they screw it up. Yep. You know, like, you know <laughs> no, no, nobody like, oh, man, that's an amazing stop. That's a great block. Okay. But it's how did he let that one at the backstop as the game-winning run scores? That's when you notice sure. that, you know, that's when you notice the catcher's defense. Um, and so those guys that, that were just um, goalies, you know, uh, just unstoppable uh, back there. We're, we're always heroes of mine. Yeah, no doubt. So, Matt, I I think this is the first time it's ever happened on this podcast. On this podcast, I actually have another caller who's on the line. I don't know who the number is because I don't recognize the number. Are you okay if I take another caller on the on the podcast? Sure. I'll bring this person on and see see what I don't recognize the number. It's it's a, a blocked number, so I'm going to take them on and then we'll uh, see and then we'll finish up the podcast after that. Okay. Sounds good. It's not a surprise. I, I don't I don't know what's happening right now, so we'll bring the caller <laughs> on and we'll see what they're what they're calling in for. One one second. Hello, caller. How how big was Pudge's chode? Hi, who is this? Okay, that was uh, not what I expected. How are you doing, Matt? <laughs> All right, I'm fine. Uh, I don't I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know who the caller was. Nope. I wish I could answer that. It was a blocked number, so I probably should have just not brought them on. But I, I I'm not used to having people call in to the show. So that was something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> was that was All that right. a voice you recognized? I I don't know how to answer that. So no. Okay. Nope. A- anyway, that's something. So, um. Anyway, I don't really remember uh, where we were. We can start over. Um, I, I wanted to ask a question. I had listed here was, um, what. What do you think of the baseball off season as a whole in terms of um, as as far as how many free agents have still not signed or signed later than anticipated and for money less than they have what What do you think the reason is for that? Well I mean I, I think that that you Darvish you know obviously had a had a big um, role, at least when it came to the starting pitchers. You know, there, there were a number of teams, including, uh, including teams like, you know, the, the twins and the brewers that you wouldn't necessarily expect, 
to be in on the best free agent pitcher uh, of the particular offseason. And so I think as that process was slow, that obviously is what what uh, slowed down um, you know, some of the other uh, signings and have left some guys as yet uh, unsigned. But but part of it too is, um, you know, I, I think we've seen some some big uh, big contracts for starting pitchers and long contracts, and and we know that you know the guy who's the best pitcher in the world at 27 is not going to be the best pitcher at the world at 33 when that six year deal uh-huh. comes up. And I and I think you see some teams starting to wonder a bit more about. You know, is you know is a is a Cy Young candidate worth that money on the front end if you're stuck with it on the back end? Um, and so, mm-hmm. I, so I I wonder if there's maybe a little bit of um, you know kind of second guessing amongst GMs when it comes to the longer term contracts uh, for some of these guys um, because of the way the the money is uh, is guaranteed. Um, I mean, I think there's a, there's a couple, um, moving away from pitchers, but I mean, you know, that Albert Pujols contract was monster and went on for years. And then, but, but you see, you, you know, you're going to be paying them well past their, um, value to your team. And maybe that's worth it for those first couple of years. If you're ready, um, or think you're close to competing. Um, but, uh, you know, I think if, if nobody's offering that extra year, then, you know, players are, are going to try and try and wait it out. Um, sure, I can see that. And I think a lot of it is, um, I think players, it's coming to an, uh, a spot here where players are, knowing that they're making the very minimum for professional major league baseball for the first three years that they're in the major leagues. And then there's three years of team control where they're still being kind of told where their salary is. And by that point, if you make free agency, if you came up at 22, you're making free agency when you're 28 and you can still make pretty good dollars at that point. But it's coming to a point where, Players are saying, if we're getting called up at 24 or 25 and we're not hitting free agency until 30, 31, that's an issue because we're not going to be paid like we probably should have been paid for the first five, six years of team control. And I think that's what the argument's going to be when the CBA runs out in 2021, I believe it is. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's one thing. If you resign with the club that you came up with, then you know you you could see it that those years where they overpay you at the end of your career are essentially compensation you earned for the years where they underpaid you earlier in your career. But when mm-hmm. players are moving, then it's you know it's frankly only the the largest dollar clubs out there that I think are going to be willing to you know kind of pay that added on bonus. Um, past their prime uh, in exchange for for getting the player. Um, so I mean, it's it's tough because it's it's not really a um, some folks are willing to pay the premium um, when it's really not for the performance prospectively, but it's um, almost more in recognition of uh, past production. Sure. Well, okay, so I know you're a Cubs fan, and I know you're a secondary Twins fan. Um, is that how you would describe it, uh, more of a Cubs fan first and kind of everything else second? Or would you say the Twins are your second team, or how would you describe your fandom? Um, well, I, I, I think the fact that um, I've got, you know, again, going back to the history, I'm a fourth-generation uh, Cubs fan. Um, and I grew up, um, in, I've lived in Minnesota my whole life. Um, and so like, I would say the, 
I would say that the Twins are probably my – I don't want to say my second team. It's more of like a 1 and a 1A. But, I mean, it's that, that family connection, you know, kind of the the um, little bit of extra heartstrings are, are tied to, to the Cubs. Um, but, you know, when they play each other, I always root for whoever's uh, got the best chance that season. If one of the two teams is competitive and one of them's not um, – you know, I, I can definitely root for the Twins over the Cubs in certain situations. Um, if, if one, you know, if the Twins are competing for a wild card or competing for a, a, a pennant and, um, you know, the Cubs are being very much what the Cubs were through most of my life, um, I'd have no problem <laughs> going that way. But, uh, sure. um, but I, I, I would say the, 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 the family connection and kind of the, the the stories I heard growing up definitely probably nudge nudge me a bit uh, to Chicago. So I will say, as a Cubs fan and a Twins fan, I've got twice the reason to hate the White Sox. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense. Something to unify it. <laughs> we can all agree on that. There's not a lot of yeah. good reason to like the White Sox. I'll get you there. <laughs> Well, yeah, so uh, my last question before we um, get to the end of the show is what what do you think of the off-seasons specifically for the Cubs and the Twins? Do, do you have overall thoughts on the additions? Both teams have really added quite a bit to the bullpen, and both teams are younger rosters. The Cubs are, are, are I think, more in a spot to be World Series contenders, but they both have young, young uh, lineups and both added quite a bit to the bullpen and both have added starters to their rotation. In a lot of ways, they've had the same needs and addressed them differently than, than um, some other teams have. I was curious about your thoughts generally on either of the teams um, this off season. Well, I mean, I'm generally, uh, you know, very happy with the, the Cubs off season, you know, with, with the relief pitchers, you, you, it's always hard to know what you're getting until you see them out there. Um, past production, I think is um, sometimes hard to transfer into a new ballpark, into a new role, into a new league sometimes. Um, so you never really know um, guys that, you know, you don't think, or you're not particularly excited about can go out to be just absolutely unhittable and guys that were just amazing last season may, may very well fall off. Uh, I think you see that in how much turnover there is in closers and setup men around the league. So, I mean, going ahead and just, uh, you know, kind of trusting the, the, the GMs in that case, uh, it's kind of hard to, to know exactly how excited I should be about um, the bullpens, though the fact that both, uh, um, you know, the Cubs in the postseason in particular, um, but the Twins kind of throughout the season uh, showed that they needed uh, some solidity uh, in the back, especially in this day and age where you've got so much uh, seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning specialization. Um, you've got to not just have guys in those roles, but you've got to have other guys that you, you can go to in, in different situations. Um, you know, as, as far as, you know, kind of addressing the starting pitching as a Cubs fan, obviously um, I'm, I'm excited about Darvish. Um, I, I think their rotation got uh, um, younger and um, maybe even a little more elusive. Uh, as far as the stuff they have, I will say, um, you know, uh, seeing Arietta go is uh, tough. Um, you know, he was his beard was iconic at the uh, height of uh, that uh, um, kind of uh, renaissance for the Cubs. So he's one that will always be a, a kind of a, a favorite from that uh, that window. Um, and then as far as the, the Twins go. Um, I, I like the, uh, Rosie trade. I think, um, that's great. I'd like to see, um, thing else just because with Santana's, uh, injury, um, like to see is, you know, maybe one more guy, um, brought in, uh, just because there's, there's a lot of, uh, uncertainty or inconsistency, uh, amongst the, the twins rotation. Um, and it would be be great to see a little bit uh, um, a little bit more depth as far as options go. You know, it's, well, it's one thing the Cubs have in Mike Montgomery is kind of that 
uh, mm-hmm. swing guy uh, there. Um, you know, and I don't know, uh, you know, exactly what the what the Twins have as far as that. But it's it's nice to be able to have someone that, um, not just a spot star, but you know, you've got that. It's almost a um, a bit of depth within your twenty five man. So. Sure. I, mind well, I think that. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I. I was talking about this with a with a friend today. Um, twins are in a good position to use some of their prospect capital come June or July, and potentially make a move like the Cubs did last year for Jose Quintana, and and really add to the top of their rotation rather than potentially add a free agent like a. Lynn or a Cobb or Arietta now, um, I think that's maybe what they should be focusing on more than just adding a mid-rotation guy now for free agency like, like Lynn or Cobb. I think they should be looking at top of the rotation like Quintana was with the Cubs and, and do that come June or July. That would be my plan for them if I was in charge, I guess. And that's just the thought I, guess the I'd thought have to, I have. to think about it, but, but with, uh, you know, with Cole moving from Pittsburgh – and with, you know, Tampa kind of completing their uh, fire sale, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there, you, though, with the extra wild card, you know, you've got to have those kind of top of the rotation guys who are right now pitching on teams that you know are going to be stankers. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. that was, you know, Quintana came from a Sox team that was not going anywhere. Um, and I, we've seen a couple, of, I'd have to, to think about it to, to know whether – um, you know, whether there are uh, um, guys like, you know, a few years back, uh, Donny Cueto um, in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. he was always one of those guys that they talked about because Cincinnati, other than I think maybe one season, they were always pretty bad. And this guy always was uh, a, a very uh, strong um, pitcher. But so there, there's, you know, you, you got to have those targets out there. Um, and I, I'd have to think how many top of the line guys there are that are pitching on teams that you think are going to lose, you know, 85 games. Yeah. So the names I've games. come up with just 95 games. I, there are teams in the central, the AL central that I know, uh, probably project that way. Denny Duffy with the, the Royals and Michael Fulmer, Fulmer of the Tigers. I don't know if they would work with the twins, but I think those are guys that would absolutely help like Quintana did to add to a rotation from a team that's not ready to be in that winning cycle, I guess. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, and, and again, when you're talking about, you know, years of control and end of contracts, um, if, if you, especially if you can find a guy in one of those places that, um, you know, uh, maybe nearing the end of his contract and looking to get out of the kind of bad situation he's in, um, then the price comes down a little bit. It becomes a, maybe a rental for the Twins, um, but I think they've got a, a window there where generally um, I'm okay with going after that. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, so we're getting to the end of the hour, and I appreciate it. It's been a quick hour, and I, I love the chat, but um, I didn't even ask uh, if if people are wanting to connect with you and ask you questions about what you do or talk about baseball what, where, how can they meet and, and connect with you via social media? Uh, so my Twitter is, uh, M W Bergeron, um, you know, at, at M W Bergeron. So that's probably the easiest way to, uh, to get at me, uh, on social media. Okay. And you, and you welcome that obviously. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Um, I, I I guess I don't have a lot else to ask right now. Um, uh, thank you for joining me. I um, I appreciate your your time this evening. I know you're not. Um, I know you're fairly busy with work and 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 non-work life. I appreciate it. So I appreciate your time and and uh, thank you for coming on and spending this time with me. Oh, thanks for thanks for having me on. I really uh, uh, enjoyed it. it was uh, definitely the highlight of my week going into it. So, um, thanks so much. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you, thank you, Matt. And let's uh, let's get a beer sometime too soon. It's been a little while. So, 
It'd be good to get away Sounds from the good. kids for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, yeah, have a good night, okay? Thanks. You too. Yeah. And uh, once again, this is Baseball is Good, and I hope everyone has a good night.